0: Hey there Vernacular Faithful, Redcoat here, and CNTier joins him, and we've got another podcast for you. Today we're going to be talking about Narvazod and mechanics, and how they can fail to match the core intention of your game. For this cast specifically, we're focusing on three concepts, mechanical dissonance, Narvazodal dissonance, and
1: non-harmonious alignment. So as a quick reminder, mechanics are about how the game functions, and Narvazod is about the narrative, visual, and audio elements of a game. In other words, it has to do with the presentation of the game. So to define these items, we need to first define another concept, the intention. The intention is basically what something is supposed to be. What does the developer intend with it? Mechanics and Narvizad need to work together to support this intention. When they fail to do so, then something feels off. That's what those concepts Redcoat mentioned are all about.
0: Right, so before we really dig in here, let me give a brief overview of the two forms of dissonance and the idea of non-harmonious alignment. Mechanical dissonance refers to the situation wherein the narvizod of the game is congruent with its core intention, but some element of the mechanics of the game, or how the game plays, is incongruent with that same core intention. Narvizodal dissonance is the reverse of this, where the mechanics are congruent with the game's core intention, but some element of the narvizod is incongruent with the aforementioned core intention. Non-harmonious alignment is the tricky one, as both the mechanics and Narvizod are in line with the core intention when considered in a vacuum, i.e. by themselves, but when put together
1: cause an incongruency in the game's core intention. If that stuff doesn't make sense to you, that's okay, because now it's time to get into EXAMPLES! We're going to start by looking at an example of mechanical distance from Pokémon. Specifically, we're going to look at Pokémon natures. So, Pokemon
0: is a series of games where the player is tasked with catching and cataloging various powerful animals in a fantastical setting. The animals that you encounter in this game are quite varied, not only in species, but also in various individual traits, both physical and otherwise. At least, this is what is presented via much of the game's Narvizod and mechanics, with all sorts of unique descriptions, sound bites, appearances, and abilities associated with them.
1: Yeah, so this brings us specifically to natures, which are supposed to represent an individual Pokémon's personality. There are a whole bunch of them, 25 in all. Here are some examples. Serious, quiet, modest, adamant, and timid. It seems to us that the intention of natures is being properly presented through these Narvazot elements, given how much effort Game Freak has put into trying to make each Pokémon feel unique. That said, we
0: believe that there is a mechanical dissonance that exists when it comes to how players end up approaching natures due to their mechanical implementation. Each nature in the game has a set of stats that they affect. Specifically, they raise one stat by 10% and lower another stat by 10%. It should be noted that there are 5 of these natures that don't actually change any stats. In theory, this falls in line with the concept of Pokémon being varied and unique adding another set of personalized
1: variables to the mix. It's a great theory, but fails in practice for a couple of reasons. The first is that there is no rhyme or reason as to which stat a nature raises and which one it lowers. Another reason is that simply adjusting stats like this doesn't make the Pokémon feel like it has that as its personality. I would expect a brave Pikachu to play differently from a timid one in some very noticeable ways, but based on how natures are implemented, there is very little difference in playstyle. Brave and timid are opposite natures. Brave lowers speed and increases attack, while timid lowers attack and raises speed, but they don't lead to a Pikachu feeling brave or timid in how it actually plays. Along with that
0: point, due to the minimal impact of the change, For most players, the nature doesn't have a big enough effect to really care about. Other than the hardcore of the hardcore, the nature of the Pokémon registers as an, isn't that nice, sort of thing. Even in the hardcore realm, you really only consider natures when building the Pokémon's stat block. It doesn't really affect how you play with that Pokémon. Considering also that many of these natures become functionally useless at the high level, They further shrink the pool of different Pokémon builds in said high-level play. This is a great example of a mechanical dissonance, as the core intention of the game predicates a mechanical system that encourages players to use all sorts of unique types of Pokémon, with many, many variances in stats, moves, and other relevant elements. This implementation, however, goes in the opposite direction, actually shrinking the pool of useful and
1: unique Pokémon builds. Compare this implementation of natures with one that tries to capture the feeling of the personality that the nature's name describes. As a rough example, what if a brave Pokémon performed better when your opponent has more Pokémon left than you do? Or what if a calm Pokémon couldn't be provoked with taunt? That might be a very specific example, but something like that could have a huge impact on high-level play. Natures could also adjust what moves a Pokémon can learn. Things like this would do a lot more to change how a Pokémon plays due to its nature, rather than the effectively zero impact that the current implementation has. The hard part, of course, is trying to capture the feel of a nature in the way it impacts Pokemon, but I think doing that hard work would be worth it for the way that it would bring a unique feel to individual Pokemon. Of course, it would be really hard for Game Freak to make the change now, but it is worth thinking about the sort of thing for future games. Getting to the next type of dissonance, we have Narvizodal dissonance. As stated before, this is
0: essentially the opposite of mechanical dissonance, where some element of the game's narvizod
1: clashes with the core intention of the game. The nature of narvizodal dissonance does cause it to look different than mechanical dissonance does, and it often comes about when some narrative element in the game makes a claim about the world that is clearly an utter defiance of core gameplay mechanics.
0: For this concept, we have a more broad example that appears in many modern game titles, specifically the overpowered cutscene gun. In most games that feature gunplay in concert with other actions, most commonly swords or martial arts, the guns, and to some extent the swords, are often toned down from their real-world counterparts, proving to be much less lethal in practice when used in the game. Yeah, RPGs tend to do this a lot. Indeed, another genre that can do this at times is the spectacle fighter. For this example, we'll use Devil May Cry. In Devil May Cry, your guns, specifically ebony and ivory, function primarily as spacing tools, being essentially glorified pea shooters when it comes to damaging enemies. However, when the time comes for Dante to use the guns in a cutscene, rarely ever would an enemy survive more than one, maybe two shots from those same guns. While this isn't as egregious an offense as there could be, it does a lot to destroy one's suspension of disbelief. Although, you're hunting demons as a half-demon pizza fanatic, so there's
1: a lot that one is suspending their disbelief for. Yeah, cutscenes tend to do this sort of thing a lot, where they have some dramatic action that is nothing like the gameplay. They also seem to be accompanied by the characters being worried about something that is somehow way more dangerous in the cutscene. I think of Tales of games for doing this sort of thing. For example, Demon Fang is a pretty weak move that has sometimes received a major cutscene power-up. Or, as another example, Final Fantasy VII doesn't really explain why you can't just use a phoenix down on Aeris. Heck, Guild Wars 1 has this going on with the resurrection shrines. Prophecy's is narrative to explain them, then there's a cutscene in factions that seems to ignore that they even exist. One interesting thing about Narva's auto-dissonance is the fact that
0: many recurrent players of games have encountered it so often, and so commonly, that they just accept it when it happens. It usually only becomes apparent to many players when others who don't play as often notice and bring up the fact that it exists. It is more often the exception to the rule that story-based scenes in games actually adhere to the rules presented in gameplay. A partial reason for this is that the amount of world-building and general script work that would be involved in actually building story scenes that match the gameplay is quite a bit greater when accounting for everything the player is allowed to do in-game. That said. When done well, it results in a more unique and novel experience,
1: as the world of the game is allowed to be what it tells the player it is. As one begins to think about the concept of narrative dissonance, it becomes apparent just how common it is for the narrative aspects of a game to contradict the mechanical reality of the game's world. It's important to consider this reality when crafting game narratives, and it is a good idea for designers to consider what sort of world their mechanics create and how that will impact the story. Also, cutscenes are probably the most common source of this sort of dissonance, so it is important to be vigilant as they are being planned if you want to avoid this happening. I definitely encourage all developers out there to work hard to create a cohesive experience between gameplay and story. Relying less on cutscenes to tell the story is one way to reduce a common area where cohesion breaks down. Now we move on to the final concept, non-harmonious
0: alignment. This is a tricky one as the situation is mostly hypothetical, with very few definitive instances of it happening in common gaming history. We happened upon this concept less because we saw instances of it, but more because the ideas of mechanical dissonance and narvizodal dissonance suggested that non-harmonious
1: alignment, essentially a combination of these two forms of dissonance, existed. Yeah, so what this is, is when both the mechanics and the narvizot individually are aligned with the intention, but they don't actually work together. Think of it this way. We're looking at the relationship between the intention, narvazod, and mechanics. When the intention has a bad relationship with narvazod, but a good one with mechanics, then we have narvazodal dissonance. When it has a bad relationship with mechanics and a good one with narvazod, then we have mechanical dissonance. Nonharmonious alignment is when both mechanics and narvazod have a good relationship with the intention, but a bad relationship with each other.
0: So we dug around a bit in our collective gaming experiences to find an example of this concept in action. And we believe we found one. This comes from the Sega Saturn era, the start of the Sonic racing games, Sonic R. Here, we have a concept that seems to work in theory. Sonic is a super fast character, so it seems natural to put him in a racing game. Especially when one considers the fact that both Sonic 2 and Sonic 3 featured racing modes in them. However, an issue arises when attempting to translate the concept of supersonic racing to a 3D medium in a way that ultimately makes sense. On a Narvizod level, the quandary has a sensible solution. It's a Sonic game, and Sonic already goes fast, so all we have to do is make a 3D version of him that is passable for the polygon count that we currently have available. On a mechanical level, there is also what seems to be a sensible solution. It's a racing game, and that genre has been tread many times. So obviously, if we take the implementations that have come
1: before, we should be able to make a passable racer. Yeah, both of those are pretty straightforward. The problem arises when you realize that the Narvizod that most racing games use is based on racing cars, which means they mechanically handle like cars, and the mechanics of most Sonic games are based on running on foot, which handles totally differently from a vehicle. The result of combining car racing mechanics and Sonic Narvazad is therefore a car-based racing game where your car looks like Sonic characters. This is very weird, because it basically means Sonic handles like a car, and so while both parts make sense for the intention, they don't work together at all.
0: Voila! A non-harmonious alignment.
1: Yeah, this is probably why they just put everyone in a vehicle in future Sonic-themed racing games, effectively making them kart racers.
0: Making a non-harmonious alignment is fairly hard to do when building a game, as usually you're paying close attention to both the Narvizod and mechanics to see when they clash with each other. However. This sort of clash is likely to be missed when attempting to build a game in an established genre while using an already established Narvizod that isn't normally associated with that genre. As long as you pay attention when merging established genre mechanics with an unrelated established Narvizod, you should
1: be able to avoid creating a non-harmonious alignment. So to call this podcast a close, I'm going to put a summary bow on it. Mechanical dissonance makes your Narvizod feel shallow because it lacks mechanical weight behind it. Narvizoddle Dissonance breaks the believability of your story by wrecking the suspension of disbelief. Non-harmonious alignment makes your game feel weird, like the parts don't drive together.
0: To avoid making any of these mistakes as a designer, one must simply consider how the Narvizod interacts with their mechanics, and how the mechanics interact with the Narvizod, and if, when combined with each other, they remain in line with the core intention of the game that is being created. And uh, that wraps it up for this week. Tune in next time for a little change of pace as Cientir interviews me about my experiences with the run-and-gun genre. So until then, this is Cientir, signing off. And this is Redcoat, signing off. Play the games you want to play, boyos.